today on the show. We talk a little bit about the March for Life and the sniffles therein, uh, our picks of the week, and a little bit more. The Catholic Underground bonus cast starts right now. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Welcome to the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 385.5. We'll explain that in a minute. I'm Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, we've got Kathleen Lee. She's the executive director of the Women's New Life Center. Hello, Kathleen. Hello. Good to be back. Yeah, it's nice to to see you back. Yeah, with a new title. With a new title, exactly. Uh, Olivia Galino is the associate director of youth and young adult ministry for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And she joins us, as she always does. It's true. I'm here. (laughs) She has being. That's right. Uh, Contingent being, right? Mm. Yes. As it were. But uh, obtaining this particular piece of space and time. That's beautiful. I like it when phenomenology makes it into the first minute of the podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, Up on the Jeff Star One, things are a little silent this evening uh, because, because Jeff... Uh, got sick uh, within about an hour of the shows. Uh, even the graphics are a little sick. Uh, mm. You can see that that his seat, if you're watching us on Facebook, uh, is empty because so uh, he he got sick about an hour before we went to broadcast. Yeah. And uh, and so um, we said, please, Jeff, stay home. And uh, and so Jeff, we we remember you well. We hope that you're recuperating, and uh, we hope that um, that all the things that rhyme with coop aren't happening. <laughs> I did that. Uh, yeah, there you go. Because we're only on Facebook, we can say that, right? Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so, um, so, so this this is a, as I say, three D five point five. It's it's not quite a full episode because uh, we just thought we would have a little bit of a hangout because we yeah. told you we were coming back on the twentieth, and so here we are. We're we're back, mm-hmm. and um, and we thought it would be a good opportunity just to to give um, just a little spin around the block because. Kathleen and uh, and Olivia have have um, traveled far and wide yep. uh, in official capacities mm-hmm. to the March for Life in Washington D.C. And so we thought we'd talk a little bit about that. And and essentially, um, one of the beautiful things that's happening is that that hearts are changing. Hearts right. are changing in America. It's not one of these kind of top down sort of things that's happening, but we see with uh, with the pro life movement and and all that encompasses is really beginning in the hearts of individuals. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where, and we say this every Lent, that is exactly where conversion begins. It mm-hmm. begins with me. Yeah. Right. And, right. And did you experience this year uh, a sense of something new? As uh, Yeah, I think there's like a, like a sense of, of the end. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the tide is turning. You know, they talked a lot about how when the march first started, it was a couple hundred people that got mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I always look for the numbers afterwards. How they calculate it, I don't know. The the most I've ever heard is about three hundred thousand. Right. They there were a couple of sources that cited um, over six hundred and fifty thousand yeah, people there. Right. It was in, it was insane. And you felt um, that when you were there. Like, yeah. It was. It seemed like a lot more people than normal. Right. You know. And and and, and the speakers that they had were. You know. You're in Washington. They're talking about political parties and this and that. They they the people who were there to support it in official capacity from DC, well actually from all over the United States, but from our government were from such a wide range yeah. of, of political backgrounds. And, um, you know, both, uh, the vice president and the president spoke, My, uh, Mike Pence was there mm-hmm. in person and, and the president, you know, I, I just feel like there's, there's, and then, you know, and then, t- um, today or yesterday, 
Saturday was yeah. the women's march, right? Mm-hmm. And that's you like they usually come on the tail of the the march life, which I think is is very interesting. It's quite intentional, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And they spoke about how their numbers were drastically low this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm like, there's there's got to be something. There's got to be something that's going to happen. We can't sit on this like I feel like we're at the top of the roller coaster, mm-hmm. you know, and and. I don't know what it's going to be, mm-hmm. but something is going to, you know, is going to push it over. Even the theme this year focused so much on pro, being pro-life is being pro-science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the arguments that, like, you know, you can't argue with the science. Right. It's not an opinion. It's yeah. fact-based. Yeah. You know, and so I, so I really do think they're, they're you know, minds changing, hearts changing. Something's a, different. Yeah. yeah. A, a huge you know, generation of mm-hmm. young people that are coming up going, yeah, this is not right. That's mm-hmm. right. And so if, you, if you're joining us uh, here on uh, on this CU, we don't really know what we call it, podcasty thing, yep. uh, our mm-hmm. CU bonus cast, um, we're talking with Kathleen and Olivia about their experience at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And I know that all I have to do from year to year is I will look at um, at the time lapse yeah. of the march. Yeah. And it lasted for quite a while, that time lapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, really did. Yeah. And, and, and um, that in and of itself says quite a bit. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even watching that, like I was there and I think around like 31 seconds of that video, you can see the the Baton Rouge group because mm-hmm. they're in this like a little white rectangle like they all wear in their white hats. <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can tell when they're going down the street. Um, but even seeing that, like it was kind of shocking because there's a point where you, you can see up the hill mm-hmm. um, and you can also look behind you and see a good number of people. But normally I feel like when I would look up that hill, you'd see like sparse numbers. Of, you'd see like the beginning and like sparse yeah. numbers of people and then you. And then maybe when you turned around, you'd see like, you know, a good many more people yeah. that would go on for maybe a mile. Um, but this time, like the hill was packed. Like I could tell that there were already people like beyond the hill from where we were. And we felt like we were, you know, pretty near, not that maybe not the beginning, but we were pretty far up there. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And then, the, you know, you turn around once, once you get on the hill yourself and you just see like you, there's no end to the number of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what was really interesting and was kind of reflected in our kids when we were kind of breaking down the march afterwards, um, at least the ones on my bus, was they realized that it's like it's about the whole person. Yeah. It's about and, and it's about everyone involved. It's not just the baby. It's mm-hmm. the woman. It's the mother. It's mm-hmm. uh, the father. It's about everyone involved, the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really like open to compassion mm-hmm. for for everyone involved. Um, and even, you know, some of our kids got, um, at the go forth rally that all the Louisiana dioceses go to, um, got these signs that say like, uh, I'm a pro-life feminist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I personally love that because, um, one of the, the, one of my earliest memories of the March from when I was in college was, um, one of my you know friends that I was traveling with say, having a conversation with one of the, the women there protesting the March and mm-hmm. just saying like, I'm a feminist. Uh, and I, I just believe that women deserve better than abortion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always stuck with me. And then to see, you know, these young girls with signs that like, yes, we believe that like women deserve better. Yeah. And, and that includes abortion, you know, like to see that li- being alive and seeing that, that life is, is being pro-life is being pro-woman. It's being right. pro-father. You, you should say that, that women deserve better and that does not include abortion. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like yeah, the, I the deserving better. Yeah. The concept. Yeah. Right. It, it right. Can, includes uh, kind of developing what we're saying when we're talking about life right. um, from, from its beginning. And, and that conception is, is the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
But I think Kathleen's right too. Like there's so much more of an understanding now about like the scientific avenue, but also like the psychological avenue. Like Mm -hmm. we're starting to understand more and more like the psychological effects of abortion on everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to have all of those pieces converge, you know, you've you've always had the moral element, but to have all of those pieces converge um, and then to have people like, like holding on to that in such a passionate way. I mean, the thing that I was shocked about was, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't have, but I looked around and I would have guessed that the median age was probably around 20 years old. Oh yeah. Like very young. Like there, there were like some older people, but for the vast majority, like 98% of those people there were in high school or in college. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be in contrast to the way that the mainstream media paints it. It paints it that young people are, um, uh, essentially all the things that that comprise what we would call anti-life the kind of the me generation is not oriented towards life and oriented towards uh, abortion and all Mm -hmm. of these things that are kind of painted by our society today as the necessary i don't want to say what they would call them evils these are these are the necessary components of being um self-possessed right right? and and yet um the the numbers don't lie Right. That even even if it were three hundred thousand, even if it were two hundred thousand, even if it were a hundred grand of people, right? right. That's still a, a large a large component of of young people, mostly young people, that are saying no. We're not just here because it was a, a get out of school trip. Sure. We're here because we recognize that that life begins at conception and life ends whenever the Lord calls us right. home. Yeah. You know, well, we spoke to our students about like, you know, when we went to the, part of our trip and I, know the, we, I went with Lake Charles, the diocese of Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. And I know Olivia went with the yeah. diocese of Baton Rouge. Um, and, and they're very similar trips. So we, we both went to the Holocaust museum yeah, yeah. and when we we're going there, I said, why do we go here? You know, and we're, we're talking about the reason and what's the connection. And I said, because you need to, you need to see it. Mm-hmm. I said, there are so many people who, when the Holocaust was, was happening, you know, denied it or or they were like you know when the american troops came in they were shocked at what they saw and i said you need to see this and you need mm-hmm. to witness it you need to know you know we talked you know about um you know even some of the images that they see on the march of yeah. you know of what of what an abortion looks like you know i said why do you need to see this because it needs to be something that makes you upset mm-hmm. it needs to be something that this is not just some place that we go and we you know go to the smithsonian's and have a good time but that you see it and that you're a witness to it and right. once you're a witness to it you can no longer say that you that this didn't happen mm-hmm. right. or that this doesn't happen you know and and in my job um you know, I'm I, I'm right next door to an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it every day, it's, and and I pray to God every day that I never become numb to it. Yeah. yeah. Because once you do, it's it's just another thing that happens. Yeah. You know, and so then you allow the the narrative of of society at large right. or the mainstream media to mm-hmm. begin to inform how you are right. choosing to be numb yeah. to, to right. this. Yeah. So we talked to them on the way home, and we were like, "Look, you can go home and 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 live your life." the way you did before you came on this trip. Yeah. I said, but I challenge you. I dare you to, after you've witnessed this to do that, it's going to be difficult, Mm -hmm. but it's also going to be, you know, it may seem overwhelming when you get home. Like, what does it matter? What can I do? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's, that's the hard part is after this week, after you're fired up about it and you go home and you go back to normal life and you go back to watching stuff on TV that Mm -hmm. tells you something completely different than what you experienced. Can you hold on to that experience? Can you cultivate that experience in your life at home? You know, we go to we go to these beautiful churches and these beautiful masses, and you know, are you are you doing that when you go home? Mm-hmm. You know, and not only just you know to be in the pro life movement, but what is your faith? You know, what have you experienced new in your faith this week? That's yeah. right. I think that's an important component to it as well. 
is, um, you know, people from all faiths and all walks of life and even many differing philosophies of oh, life yeah. uh, go to the March for Life to Washington, D.C. And, um, and yet, uh, the, whether you're Catholic or not, it's, the Catholics have such a large um, presence there right. mm-hmm. that in Washington, D.C., the Archdiocese uh, also has many different opportunities to attend liturgies right. that are oriented towards the protection of life. I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware um, but in, in the Missal, right, in the Roman Missal, there are specifically masses for the protection of human life yeah. and in thanksgiving to God for human life. And those have yeah. been added uh, over, the, over the years with really specifically that purpose to, to say, to, to beg the Lord for, um, for, for his action yeah. uh, in, in uh, upholding life uh, because he made us, right? right. And so yeah. we, give, we give thanks back to the Lord for that gift. And so you have that, the great... Um, uh, what do they call it? The the mass for life, mm-hmm. and then there's the vigil for life, right? right the yeah. vigil the vigil for life for me is always a, a beautiful thing. I haven't been in, in a number of years now because you know, multi parish life will do that to you. Yep. But um, but going to the vigil for life, which is in the the National Shrine of the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, I got that wrong. The Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Strike that. Reverse <laughs> it. Um, so it's it's the largest church in the United States, yeah. and if you can imagine a giant Romanesque basilica reaching to the skies, filled, yeah. <laughs> filled with young people, mm-hmm. filled with their chaperones, and filled with seminarians, with yes. priests, mm-hmm. with bishops. Yeah. I mean, all, all streaming up like Psalm 100 to the Lord for mm-hmm. one purpose, to give thanks to God for life and to beg God for for those that would protect life, huh? yeah. to beg for, for intercessors. And that's... Yeah. It's really a beautiful thing to experience big church in that way oh, yeah. uh, and to hear the beautiful music and all those things that, that lead you into worship of God. Yeah. And then the Master for Life, which is a bit more youthy, right? So yeah. A little more contemporary, if you will. Well, yeah. I, we, I, I guess. I, I don't we, know. I, it, has, has the, the, is that liturgy still a little bit more? I think it is. Um, I haven't been. I know Baton Rouge We don't been. go. Yeah. I remember okay. my, one of my first years we went and it, we had to get there at like 4 a.m. or something. Yeah, yeah. The queue gets and, really earlier yeah. and earlier because they so fill up. Very much like Rome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I, I know we didn't go this year. and I, I No, um, we went to the Basilica all the days blur together, but we went to the Basilica on a day. Um, mm-hmm. and actually it ended up being like a Louisiana mass yeah. because, oh, right. Because Baton the Louisiana right to life has, um, well that was the next day. So this was, must've been Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we were at the Basilica and then Homa Thibodeau was there. Oh, so the other diocese of the th- province yeah. just happened And then to be like there. Charles and Lafayette mm-hmm. were there too. So it cool. ended up being kind of like a de facto Louisiana sure, mass. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was especially beautiful to see, um, like all the seminarians processing out yeah. like in their, you know, cassock and surplus. Yeah, and, that's always something. And, um, yeah. and then like this entire line of priests and like, even though we had a diminished number of priests coming from our diocese this year, um, because of like schedule conflicts, we were still just an enormous amount of priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just to see these kids being in this space that maybe they've never been in a space like this right. before. Maybe they've never experienced anything so vast or so beautiful or so varied in like mm-hmm. all of the shrines and things that yeah. they can see. Mm-hmm. Like they've never experienced something like this. Um, just to be in that moment, that was really moving for me. Yeah. Um, and, I know and, as you know, a young person, um, as a, as a high schooler and then as a seminarian experiencing those, those universal moments in the church uh, those those shake me to my core. Mm-hmm. They yeah. they they crack open my heart even to this day. I can't tell you how many times. Uh, don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> but I cry as I process in wow. for a mass at the cathedral or something yeah. because 
because at those moments you realize that you are of one mind and one heart. Yeah. 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 And to see how much the kids want to be there. Like I'm, I know for a fact that there's some who like, you know, don't want to go to adoration every day. They don't mm. want to go to mass every day, mm. but to see the ones who do, um, and it's a, it's a vast majority more than the ones who don't. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I remember like when we would do adoration every night at our, um, like our camp Sure. and just to see like, as soon as you say the words confessions are available, oh my gosh, yeah. they just, they oh, rise. And, mm-hmm. Like they're, they're all on their knees. And then, you know, once a, a period of adoration um, has taken place, someone will get on the mic and be like, all right. And we have adoration available at these stations confession. and the for kids, ju- yeah. sorry. Yeah. For confession. And these kids just rose like mm-hmm. Phoenix yeah. from the ashes mm-hmm. and they lined, like they were, there were more kids in line for confession than there mm-hmm. were still kneeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it and was from, just incredible. From my side of the screen uh those confessions are are powerful yeah, yeah. um not just in in what i hear mm-hmm. but in what the lord is doing in those moments because mm-hmm. i mean i don't need to tell you that that um that satan is after our young people oh, yeah. and he's especially after um the the youngest of our generations that uh, that are are confronted with a society that wants to 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 refocus the narrative mm-hmm. before we adults can get our hooks in them, you know, um, and yet for the younger generations, I find that that's that's not that's not happening. Yeah, they they are are wholesale saying uh, I don't want what society has to offer because that's brought me nothing but brokenness. Right, and so they are I think um, more. Uh, introspective about the ways in which they 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 need to experience god's forgiveness and so you young people when you come to confession it it blows me away it it bowls Mm. me over as a priest because uh you're allowing me to do to do the lord's work and and i guarantee you the the experience for the confessor um hearing the the confession of, of a young person um it it's extremely electric yeah because i know that the lord is is immediately saying yep you're here. Mm. Uh, the The absolution is coming. Please mm. open your heart because I'm ready. Right. And and that as the confessor, it's always so beautiful to see. And as you, yeah, young yeah. people, they rise and they they skedaddle well, towards yeah. confession. And yeah. I think y'all are both right. Like like they they know that they've been lied to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They like they know that deeply that they deserve better and that they haven't been given it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that they're I mean they're also realize their own like culpability in that. But yeah. I remember something one of our seminarians was saying on our bus on the way home was it was a really beautiful point. He was you know, like there's this temptation to think that like that we're going back to reality, but mm-hmm. in fact we've experienced reality yes. and yes. we're taking that back yeah, with yeah. us um, mm-hmm. so that we can continue to live it yep. um, because it's a lie to say that what we've just done is not reality, that yeah. it's not real in, in yeah, every Just because it was a mountaintop yeah. that it wasn't yeah. real. Yeah. And I loved that because there, there really is that sense of like maybe even almost dread for some mm. of these kids to go back to like the way things were yeah. quote unquote. But uh, or even to think about like, oh, well, that, that we're going back into reality yeah. of home and school and work and whatever. And what we've just done is like play or like right. it's, mm-hmm. it's just less real in some way. Right. Um, when in fact, the opposite is entirely true. And like, with, so that's what, you know, we were talking to them about, like, how can you live this reality 
every single day, every single moment. Yeah. Um, because like that is going to sustain you more than, you know, having that false dichotomy of, you know, there's my, there's my real life. And then there's the things that I do for God, yeah. the things that I do because I know they're right. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, that, that you say it right. And, and I've kind of couched it this way to say that, you know, we, we in the church, we are not the counterculture. We are the culture. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, 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 the church upholds culture. Whenever right. the world around us begins to descend into uh, hedonism or any of the other isms, right? Uh, as the dark ages fall, it is not the dark ages for Mother Church. We are the ones that still hold the baptismal candle, huh? Yeah. We still hold the paschal candle. And, and I think that there's, as you say, there's a reality to that. And so if that conversion takes place in the hearts of, of our young, especially who go to the March for Life, mm-hmm you're the ones who are holding the Paschal candle up when you get back to your home place, when mm-hmm. you get back to your, your actual physical home, huh? Yeah. And, the, and the drama and the situations going on in your family, you're the ones who, who hold the baptismal candle whenever you go to your school and whenever you're maligned for being the only one with the right. March for Life book sack, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you're the ones who are able to say, no, no, God is present here. And though though it may not seem like he's anywhere else, he is right here yeah. where the, my baptismal dignity is. And, and that is what begins to change the heart and, as you say, turn the tide yeah. Right, yeah. as well. Mm, that's, well, that's uh, when they become like walking tabernacles. Like, exactly. Like, when you yep. were talking, I was thinking about like the... the somewhere in the in the Eucharistic prayer where it's like, bless them, fill them with light. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it light or life? Uh, light and life, maybe? Light and life, yeah. I can't remember which one um, of those. <laughs> but I think it's in like the, the canon. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, it's like you bless them, fill them with light. And like that, like that's... Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You fill them with life, bless them and, and make them holy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And fill I just them think, with life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just think about that. Like, and those two things aren't contradictory, light and life. No. Um, and, and, and that's actually, that was our theme on our, uh, the Baton Rouge March was... Um, uh, John, you, you are the light of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like how, how you are given that particular light at baptism and how you live that out in mm-hmm. a sacramental way, um, throughout the course of your entire life. Um, and then like using the saints to illustrate how that might happen. That's right. That's um, what I said today. I, I hope I didn't cinch it. Uh, for those of you who are watching us tonight, I said, you know, no matter what happens today, all of us are called to be saints, <laughs> all of us, no matter what. And that really, I think, I forget who said it, which saint said it, that, that if, if we're not aiming towards sainthood, towards our canonization, right. then we're doing life wrong. Yeah. We're, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to say that, that no, the, this is what I want. I want to be a light for the world. Uh, not because I am the light, but because I reflect it, right? right? Because I reflect the true light from light. And these, these events like the March for Life do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really do. Um, you know, it's worth saying, Kathleen, uh, since, since you are the executive director of, mm-hmm. of the Women's New Life Center here in Baton Rouge, um, say that there's somebody watching us on Facebook or listening to us that has experienced sure. uh, abortion, either, either directly uh, or indirectly in their family. Are there mm-hmm. resources available for them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Baton Rouge, and I know they're all across the United States, so wherever you're listening to, even in other countries, there are pregnancy centers that are, 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 are ministries or, you know, medical clinics, wherever, um, that are, that have a pro-life, um, you know. Component. Component, yeah. yeah. Like, the, that's that's what they're all about. They, mm-hmm. You know, at Women's New Life Center, um, we are... Uh, we offer free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests. We also offer free professional counseling, mm. both 
you know, f- you know, for women who are in what we consider crisis pregnancies, mm-hmm. um, for women who are not in crisis pregnancies, um, who just are maybe first-time parents, mm-hmm. um, and we also offer post-abortive mm-hmm. counseling, yeah. um, which is so super important. And that, you know, that's is. what I love about what we do, um, is because you know we make it we make it very clear that we can't you know you know we can't support abortions, but we've had women who have come into our clinic. Um, and, and because of their experience, um, have come back for post-abortive counseling, Yeah, you know, um, because, because they felt loved and supported yeah. and they felt, um, you know, that idea that it, w- that it's not just about the baby, mm-hmm. right. That it is about the, the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, we offer that as well. We offer counseling to, to men mm-hmm. because that I think is an off, oftentimes a, it's overlooked. Yeah, that's absolutely. A, yeah. Absolutely. We, we, we experience, um, the, the hurt as well. Yeah. Um, and and again, let me call the lie out right now that um, that those who have experienced abortion uh, have no place in the church. Mm. I, I can't tell yeah. you how many times people believe that because that's what the world tells them yeah. Yeah. is that you have no place in the church. Incorrect. Yeah. Incorrect. Yeah. In fact, um, you have a place in the church. You have a place where the Lord is waiting to welcome you back. Right. Yeah. And so if you have experienced that and, and you feel like you're in a cage and you feel like there's no way to turn and I couldn't possibly go back to the church because God would never take me back, please, mm-hmm. please uh, call any one of your priests in any one of your parishes anywhere in the world yeah. and say, uh, Father, can, can I come and talk to you? Um, you don't even have to say what about right then and there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Father, can I come talk to you just about some things in my life, and and I want to I want to bring it to God and I want to bring it to you, and I promise you we we won't turn you away. Yeah. Yeah. And then to seek out things like the Women's New Life Center uh, if you need some he- some steps getting there, right. um, because God wants nothing less than you. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, the gospel for for Mass this weekend was mm-hmm. the wedding at Cana, mm-hmm. and uh, as I told my people at Mass today. It's no surprise nor coincidence that our Lord chose a wedding feast to, uh, to, to reveal something of himself, to, mm-hmm. to make an epiphany, to, to show himself forth, because he wishes to bring about what the prophet Isaiah suggests. Right. Um, God doesn't just simply want to be in a business relationship with us, yeah. but he wants you to be his spouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, no more shall you be called forsaken, no mm-hmm. more shall you be desolate, but I will make you my spouse. I will call you a spouse and I will call you my beloved. Mm. And as a young man marries a virgin, so your builder shall marry you. And as uh, a bridegroom takes delight in his bride, so shall your God delight in you. That's what God wants mm. of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you've experienced something where, where you've, you've uh, turned away from the Lord, or you feel like he's far away, don't stay there. That, yeah. is, that is not of God. Mm-hmm. Come back, come back to the church. Come back to your priests. We're waiting. Come mm-hmm. back to the Women's New Life yeah. Center, which, by the way, is womensnewlife.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Womensnewlife.com. Yeah. You know, and that's those are some of the most powerful witnesses is women who have had abortions and then are brave enough to tell their story. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it's not just that's one of the biggest lies is that this is just a medical procedure. Yeah. You go in like you go into any other medical doctor and just have this procedure done and then it's over with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, man. The 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 psychological, the emotional, the spiritual effects mm-hmm. um, are are overwhelming um, if you if you don't seek out that help. And so those women who have I mean we had we had a woman who traveled with us who shared her story and it was incredible, mm-hmm. incredibly moving. And just the I you know, 
of course she struggled with the idea of God's mercy. Um, mm. but that she, when she, when she, you know, sought out that help, when she went to her priest, yeah. right, she felt the mercy and the love of God. And she knew like, this was, this was the only place where she could find real healing, um, for what she had ex- experienced. And now she's, you know, a beautiful witness to, mm-hmm. to, you know, what this is all about. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, we hope that that's been beneficial for you to listen to a little bit um, of, of Olivia and Kathleen's experience on the March for Life. Would you say that the, the youngins you took had a, a good experience? Oh, yeah. And honestly, the adults had a, a great experience watching the young kids. I don't. I know that I have like that a lot of... That gives us life, right? Yeah, I have recharges us. so much like hope for, for their generation. And like, yeah, I, I genuinely loved all of my kids and yeah it was it was incredible from every aspect yeah that's one of my favorite parts is on the ride home when you when you hear you you watch these kids you know and, and some of them you're, you're watching like, them uh, kind of process yeah and some of yeah. them then you're like man i've i mean i've prayed real hard for some kids so i'm mm-hmm. like i just I, I really yeah. hope like lord this one's yours because i can't yeah. I've, right. I've done my best you yeah. know and then at the end lord here's their heart i right? present it to you do yes. what you must these yeah. kids who come up to, and they share what they've experienced mm-hmm. you know how the lord has moved and you know we gotta talk about this all the time a couple years ago we didn't even make it to the march because mm-hmm. of sickness and, and yeah. a, a snowstorm and i was like this is it these kids are never coming back mm-hmm. they're gonna hate it that the witness that came from those kids that didn't even go on the march itself. Yeah. I was like, I don't know why I doubted you, Lord. Like mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. am a peon. <laughs> you, are, you are the Lord of the universe. That's right. Obviously, yeah. because I am the created. You were the creator. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. And and you know, and also, you know, the, we had to mention the vocations that come out of this I as know. well. Yeah. That's you know, true. People uh, who, yeah. you know, young people who have, you know. And, and, and the, the Lake Charles group was telling me they have two seminarians that because they prayed outside of an abortion clinic on mm-hmm. the on the March for Life, they both said that that was the that was the, that was the, moment. the moment the moment mm-hmm. where they knew that God was calling them to something more, mm-hmm. to that God was calling them to, life to action. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah. and by they bringing forth the bread of life, right? Wow. And they started their discernment process. And yeah. and and I mean, I look. There's so much, and, and Olivia and I have both been involved in, in logistics and planning yeah. and months and months and, you know, headaches and, and headaches and sleepless nights. And you get there and it's like, I could have, I could have, there's nothing more I could have done because the Lord has got it in his hands. Yeah. Right. It's not about what I did. It's not about, you know, where we go or, or you know, did we, did we get enough snacks for the ride home? Right, yeah. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Right. The Lord is, if you, if you just let the Lord move, mm-hmm. right. In adults as well that witness these young people that maybe mm-hmm. have, um, you know, have kind of thrown their hands up and said, I don't know about this generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They witness, they, they witness the hope of the future. Yeah. Um, and these kids who are just, are just leaning into Christ, leaning into their faith. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And the hope of right now, like mm-hmm. so many of these kids are living it right now. Yeah. And even if they aren't, they recognize it and they want to, they recognize yeah. that it's something worth giving up things for giving yeah. up, you know, uh, life itself for um mm-hmm. and i recognize that in, in, in our kids and in that vocational aspect that kathleen was talking about it's so crucial and you even start to see like as an adult you can kind of start to see maybe the beginnings of something um like we had you know nashville dominicans on our bus oh yeah huh? um and then we have we had a priest and a seminarian on our bus and just like seeing the interactions and and seeing like you know so and so coming up yeah, and be yeah. like you think i can get a minute to, to talk to the sisters and be like yeah. they would love that that's yeah. right do it right now you know yeah um, 
Um, and just seeing the little beginnings of that and even having the kids tell you certain things about like, I think, I think it'd be really cool to be a Mm -hmm. religious sister and be like, Mm-hmm. It, would be. it really would be. It would yeah. be. This is their coming to weekend. Yeah, you know, like right. exactly. Yeah, and then being able to present them with opportunities. Like we talked after we were done, you know, breaking things down. We were like, here are, are concrete opportunities you can go on to discern what the Lord has for you. Mm-hmm. And it's not a trap. If you no. go, they're not going to keep you there like some kind of like slave, you know, like <laughs> yeah, discernment yeah. slave. Yeah. They, won't, they, won't, they won't bring down the, yeah. uh, the, the great. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. But it's just to explore like that whisper, like the, the Lord whispers to each of us when we were created, like it is good that you exist. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. to go and explore what that goodness means for your life. It can only be life giving. Yep, and, and all this from the march for life. You exactly. see, life begets life. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So, uh, I'll take you around there. Remember, this is uh, this is episode three eighty five point five. But we're we're doing so well. We're at the half hour mark, um, and so you know what I think we're going to do. We're just going to go ahead and create this one for TV. Um, mm. So so for those of you who are who are who will have been being watching us, <laughs> uh, future Plu perfect. Um, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, is we're going to pause briefly for, uh, for our break, um, but then we'll be back on the opposite side of the break with, um, with maybe just a, a little elongated uh, topic B, um, where we're going to talk a little bit about the spiritual life according to St. Catherine of Siena. And so, um, so stick with us. Um, you'll, you'll be hearing sound, um, but for those on Facebook, uh, you won't be hearing sound. So uh, stick with us, and we'll be right back after this. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Alrighty, welcome back to the Catholic Underground. Uh, I'm Father Chris Decker, joined alongside Kathleen Lee and Olivia Galino. And uh, Jeff is uh, on on the sick side, but uh, he's here definitely in spirit, and Ed is in the video cave switching the video. And uh, it is, it's episode 385.5, because we weren't exactly sure what was going to turn out here. Uh, this is kind of a, a more podcasty-like uh, episode. But we're, we're doing so well on the time that I figured we'd just kind of uh, forge on ahead and talk about where to begin in the spiritual life. Because we talked about the March for Life and, mm-hmm. and all of the things that, that kind of build up to that, to being able to, to make this statement to say, you know what, I think I want to sign up and go on the bus to Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and that precludes that there is a, a spiritual life that's taking place. And so we have to have a place to start. Yeah. One of our favorites, uh, Philip uh, Kozlowski, um, mm-hmm. who, who uh, was the author of that great uh, graphic novel, Finian and the Seven Mountains, mm-hmm. um, who, uh, who writes for Alatea, um, kind of boils down uh, something of St. Catherine of Siena uh, and, and how she says, well, this is how you start, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And St. Catherine of Siena is one of my favorite saints and I think one of the church's greatest saints. She's a juggernaut. Yeah. And you want to know a fun fact? She was not a nun. She was no. not a sister. She was a lay woman. Yep. But she was a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, like and, many lay women I knew, actually, the one like they're sitting next door to me oh, here. Oh, yeah. 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 In their own right, definitely bosses. <laughs> they even are wearing matching habits tonight. Oh, of, we are. are we? Oh, yeah, we right. Secular order mm-hmm. undergrounders. Yeah. Well, when you said this was going to be a bonus cast, I was like, oh, comfy sweater time. Yeah. And so that's what. As the time. Bonus <laughs> sweater. Mine is like a hoodie. <laughs> but but, but Ka- uh, Kath- Kathleen of Siena, Catherine of Siena. <laughs> 
sorry. <laughs> the benefactress. Yeah, yeah. the benefactress. Uh, she was. She was a yeah, boss, especially when it came to the spiritual life. Yeah, and in a time where that wasn't extremely common. You know, she mm. was. Um, she lived in the 14th century, so we're talking about like deep in the Middle Ages. Um, but she she was known and beloved for her holiness, but also her tenacity. Um, she was very much a warrior in the in the vein of, uh, of like Saint Joan of Arc. Um, and she led a, a really profound interior life, and that's, that's something that she's really well known for, um, especially today. Um, she was a third order Dominican. Mm-hmm. Um, that's but why that's, you always see her in a habit, right? Right, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why some people think that she was a religious sister. Um, but third order Dominicans are actually, it's a lay order. Um, mm-hmm. It's a way of being involved in the, the life of a religious order mm-hmm. um, without being professed, without taking vows. Um, and she she has a lot of her insights. Um, so she's she led that deep interior life but a lot of those insights are preserved in her dialogues um and and honestly like when i think about saint catherine of siena i think about um like someone with like a docility of spirit kind of like mary but also with that like tenacity of like saint joan of arc but like all wrapped into one person Mm -hmm. but also with like the the intellectual acuity of like a St. Teresa of Avila, you know, like she was like all of those things all in one person. Um, but she lived it in such a humble way and in service to the church. Um, but yeah, so she, she loved to, um, to reflect on the spiritual life. And, and at one point she was thinking about, you know, what's the first step that someone has to take if they want to lead a spiritual life. And she said, you know, the soul uh, who is very lifted by a very great and yearning desire for the honor of God and the salvation of souls begins by exercising herself for a certain space of time in the ordinary virtues. That's important. Remaining in the cell of self-knowledge. That's also important in order to know better the goodness of God towards her. So she she points out two things, right? Ordinary yeah. virtues and the cell of self-knowledge, which I, I love that image of, you know, so there's a, a religious cell, which is like the, the terminology they use for their room, but it's a very sparse area. You know, you have a bed, you have a desk, um, a lamp, um, and not much else. Um and I, I love that it's a cell of self-knowledge because we really should be so clear yeah. um, and uncluttered with the way that we look at ourselves um, and the way that we understand ourselves that it should be like a cell. It should be mm-hmm. um, you know, a place where we, we walk in and we know exactly what's going on. Um, but that, don't, that takes time, right? That takes a lot of um, yeah. attention. And as so many saints say that the first thing we should do before we can even practice virtue is distrust ourselves. Yeah. Have this healthy distrust of self that... Yeah. My my desires may not always be rightly ordered, mm-hmm. and so they must always be shown against the light of Christ. Right. Yeah. 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 And like that sense of detachment that goes along with that, mm-hmm. uh, realizing that there are some things that are superfluous to living a holy life, and I'm, am I willing to get rid of those things, even if they're comfortable or they're pleasurable or yeah. something like that? Um, but when you combine that that cell of self knowledge, uh, or, or not combined, but if you if you infuse that cell of self knowledge with the life of ordinary virtue mm-hmm. um, and in fact those two things can't go without each other virtue and self-knowledge right um, but then you you get to a place where you're disposed to know the goodness of God towards you mm-hmm. because really like if you if you kind of pare down your view of yourself 
you you end up with what God sees of you, and that is only a good thing. It can only be a good thing because if you if you pare down and try to get to what God sees of you, and you see something ugly or you see something worthless, that is not from God. Right. Because God looks at humanity and says it is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said earlier, like in the words of Joseph Pieper, um, God looks at each human being and says it is good that you exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Once we we live, we start to live that truth. Yeah. We start yeah. to live that knowledge. Then the the virtues kind of explode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had a professor in graduate school who talked about um, like the life of the virtues give color to everything, yeah. and I, I think that's true. Like they yeah. give color, they give texture to everything. Um, they they put flesh on on our skeletons. They 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 put flesh on ourselves um, in a way that we can truly live mm-hmm. when we start living the life of the virtues. But it starts with that that like big bang moment of knowing. That that you are good. Yeah, and and so what happens? Uh, or perhaps I I wouldn't want to put words in Saint Catherine's mouth, but but what happens when I do uh, kind of introspect? Whenever I do uh, go inside, uh, begin the work of the interior life, and uh, I arrive as many do, right? As we all do, and I arrive at something that that isn't beautiful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. My experience of sin or a past hurt or mm-hmm. uh, a past grudge or something like that. Oftentimes, um, just our own inclinations and the evil one can tell us that that's the thing that makes us um, that makes us unwilling or, or unable to go before God. Yeah. And so many many would would turn aside at that moment, right? They say, "Oh well, uh, I've had this experience in my past, or or I'm I'm guilty of this sin, or or I'm aware of this not beautiful thing. That must mean God doesn't want me." Right. But but that's that's not true, is it? That's you know. Uh, <laughs> it's exactly untrue. It's exactly untrue. Yeah. yeah. And so self-knowledge is important because it helps us to begin to parse what is of God, mm-hmm. that I'm created by him, that I'm created fundamentally good, and then the things that are not of God. Right. Right. And that, that knowledge of God and knowledge of self really go hand in hand. Um, because if you know who God is, then you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if you want to know who you are, you have to know who God is. Yeah. Um, those things are really married. Um and, and actually, St. Catherine, she actually, she wrote down some words of Jesus that she had in a, in a revelation. She had, you know, a series of those. But um, in this particular one, it kind of explains how self-knowledge and knowledge of God are intimately connected in that way. Um, and they complement one another. Um, so these are the other words of Jesus from this re- revelation. He says, I reply that this is the way, if you will arrive at perfect knowledge and enjoyment of me, the eternal truth, that you should never go outside the knowledge of yourself, and by humbling yourself in the valley of humility, you will know me and yourself, from which knowledge you will draw all that is necessary. This is a toughie. Yeah. Because not many of us want to um, to experience the valley of humility. Right. Right. And of course, it's 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 pridefulness that causes us to not know ourselves. Right. Right. But I, I I really love that image of you know you should never go outside the knowledge of yourself, because I mean when we think about what we do in the modern age, we we like attach things to ourselves, or yeah, like we, we graft we, things. fandoms and right, right. And yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, like we 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 graft things onto ourselves, and then we point to it and we say, "This is who I am," mm-hmm. um, instead of. Like I was saying, like like stripping down everything that that is excess, everything that is superfluous to our being, and being able to like truly look at yourself and and know that this is the truth, and know that that this is me. But that takes courage, right? I mean, like no yeah. one no one particularly loves that, right? Yeah. No, yep. nobody does. <laughs> I don't. I sure don't. Yeah, and so you, you know, when we attach our, our like you're saying our sins to ourselves, and this is who I am, mm-hmm. it can be a very negative thing. And we also hide behind 
you know, we hide behind it. Yeah, we can make that oh, yeah. our identity, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's what the world does, right? Mm-hmm. It says, uh, pick the vice mm-hmm. that is the most pleasurable and then make that your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's oftentimes as a priest, that's, those are the things that, that I deal with on an almost daily basis is many who have, um, who have kind of picked, um, picked a vice of the world, the, those comfortable sins, as I call them, huh? mm-hmm. the things that, that we ease right into and that, w- that we know uh, as, as comfortable as a shoe that are not good for us but in the moment feel good for us because right. Right, all sin is that way. And, and then that becomes the fundamental identity. Mm-hmm. And, and yet th- there, can, there, can never be, there can never be a true identity there. Right. It's always just kind of hidden. And so, yeah, never go outside of the knowledge of yourself. So constantly holding, holding myself up against the Lord, holding yeah. myself up against the gospel mm-hmm. uh, and allowing that to shine, shine its light on me. Right. Yeah. And especially the scriptures, because they, they are the word of God. And who else is the word of God? The second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's not a small thing to say that the scriptures are the inspired word of God um, and that we can very much hold ourselves up against them, especially mm-hmm. the gospels and the words of Jesus Christ and know who we are and who we were created yeah, to be. And, and to say, too, that this is where the church uh, is really important, because one of the one of the the lies of our modern culture too is, well, if you're going to do any of that, you certainly don't want to go towards the church yeah. because they're going to tell you you have to read the Bible in a certain way and yeah. that you have to do this a certain mm-hmm. way, do that a certain way. Uh, and yet in the same way that we're all binge watching Marie Kondo on Netflix, who's telling us how to order our lives by tidying ah, up. Ah, yes. Um, that's exactly what the magisterium of the church wishes to do. Right. It helps us to sort out those things that are not ordered and to say, mm. well, here is what over 2,000 years of lived tradition mm-hmm. uh, has to, to say about this or that uh, component of your life. And here's what the Lord is saying through his church. And here's what the Lord says in scripture, which is where all of this is, um, is, is centrally located. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, is one of the things that's really important is, is don't turn away from the faith, mm-hmm. but rather dive into your faith, right? And, right? and that will help you to begin that work of, of introspection as well. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And she also, I mean, it's a very Thomistic um, way of thinking, but she is a Dominican, a third order Dominican, um, and this is coming right after Aquinas, so she was no doubt familiar with him. Sure. Um, but she uh, she talks about how knowledge is always the first step in the spiritual life, but that will naturally lead someone to the next stage, which is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and really you can't get there by feeling you can't get to a a state of true love just by emotion alone wait a minute you can't get to a state of true love just by emotion alone kathleen say it ain't so yep (laughs) it ain't just about emotion again this is another one of the things that the world tells us right Right. oh yeah is that if if i don't feel the love Mm -hmm. then there must be no love there no and false (laughs) no um and she's very like clear about this um and she and she's echoes Aquinas when she says that knowledge has to precede love um, because you can't love what you do not know. And Mm. Aquinas says that of God, but that's true for us um, and of God um, because we are created in his image and likeness. Gosh, this this Um, makes me think too of uh, getting back to the March for Life briefly. Yeah, yeah. Is... You cannot love what you do not know. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why in our culture, the notion of courtship mm. has long been a part of, uh, of preparation for marriage, preparation for, for procreation, uh, for mm-hmm. having a child. Mm-hmm. The notion of, I wish to know you so that we may know each other in, in the biblical sense, in the sacramental sense, mm-hmm. but, but you cannot truly love what you do not know. Yeah. And that, that works also in our relationship with God. Yeah. That, that we cannot love him if we do not know him. Yeah. Right? Which is why he reveals himself to us. Right? Yeah. And, and you can only go in that next step of having a relationship with him if you know him and have 
been privileged to love him in that way. Yeah. And I think too, like it's important to note that like, there's a, there's a way that, that God relates to you that he doesn't relate to with anyone else. Like Mm -hmm. there's something unique about your relationship because he's a person and he's three people, (laughs) he's three persons and you are a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there is a way that he speaks to you. There's a way that he wants to interact with you that is entirely unique. Um, and so that knowledge of God is, is in some ways, in most ways, very, very objective. Like there are things that we know of God to be true, but it's also subjective. Like how is God speaking to you? Yeah. Because the way that he speaks to father Chris and to Kathleen is not the way he's going to speak to me. Boy, is that true. And, and like when it, I mean, I think about this a lot when it comes to like vocational discernment things, you know, when you're talking to different people about it, like, you have to learn how to sniff out God. You have to learn what he smells like, what his voice sounds like, yeah. the way he walks. Like, And if you don't know those things, then you don't know him because mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a person, he's three people. Um, so to, to figure out what is it in the way that, that God, how does God move in my life? And, yeah. and can I sense those motions? Um, that's part of the knowledge. It's not all, I, I think that we have this idea of knowledge as like very like yeah. factual. Yeah. And, and It's not all this kind of ethereal mindfulness. Right. <laughs> and and that's not, and Christ presents himself as a person, yes. but he says, I am an, I am the eternal truth. Right. So those two things are not contrary to one another. No. They're, they're very much inter, interwoven. And so you have the knowledge of God, but it's, it's as a person, as yeah. a person of Jesus Christ. And so how do we, how do we relate to him? How do we, how do we, um, interact with him and how do we live in that light? How do we clothe ourselves in that truth? It only comes like Catherine of Siena is saying, if we have come to knowledge of him and then come to love of him to the point where we have no other option, but to clothe ourselves with that truth and to live it. Adam in the chat room says, how would you best explain that to somebody who is unchurched? Like the, the yeah. notion of, of coming to, to God, to, to know the one who we wish to love. Yeah. It's, think, it's not yeah, an easy it's thing. It's not an easy yeah. thing. I mean, I think that it starts with um, like what Catherine Siena is saying, like that self-knowledge, um, like being just brutally honest with yourself about yeah. like the things that are extraneous to your being. So your sins, the yeah. things that, that give you pleasure and comfort, um, and kind of paring down to like, okay, this is who I am. This is who I, I was created to be. And if you do that, then like the inevitability is that you come to a place where you realize that like, there is more than me. Mm-hmm. There's so much more than me right. mm-hmm. because there's so much that I am not. Right. Um, and I think that's like the, like the first step is like that. And, and, and she kind of talks about that with like that avenue of humility. And only if we walk down that avenue of humility, can we arrive at that place where we realize all the things that we are not but all the things that we're created to be. Um, And then once we come to that realization, the only option is love because there's, there's the reality. We're kind of confronted with the reality that I don't have to exist. Mm -hmm. You know, like father Chris was joking earlier that I'm contingent. I am. There's no, there's no point of me except for the fact that God wants me. And that's the same thing of you. That's, that's the same truth that applies to you. Like, you were not needed, but you were wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better to be wanted than to be needed. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? exactly right. If yeah. you experience mm-hmm. a relationship where the person needs you, mm-hmm. it's it's draining. It mm-hmm. sucks the life out of you. Mm-hmm. If you experience a relationship where you're wanted, yeah. it's life-giving. You know, I, I make that connection. I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's as I say, it's not something that I often think about because, right. well, you know, it happened 38 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, but my parents were always very, very clear about the fact that I, I was wanted, Yeah, you know, and, mm-hmm. and whenever we realize that our fundamental identity is, is being wanted by God, 
then that opens up a floodgate of the possibility of love. Yeah. Because I think about it in my own human experience yeah. with, with my parents. I mean, I've known uh, since since well, before I could even speak. Yeah. And it wasn't too long after I was born. I promise I spoke early, <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. Uh, but I knew my parents constantly said, no, no, you were wanted. We got to pick you out. huh? Yeah. Uh, that is exactly what God has done for us. huh? God picks us out in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Uh, of all of the thoughts in the mind of God, he says, Olivia... Kathleen, Christopher, yeah. Ed, Jeff, he he wants you. Yeah. And because he wants you, he wishes for your life to unfold in the way that it will give the most glory to him by living your life right. fully. Yeah. And and that's more than just living your best life. No, it, yeah. it's living the life that God has unfolded to you. Yeah. And that's what St. Catherine of Siena is, is talking about. Yeah. And I think like her method is really like very appropriate for our age because it starts with the basics, just knowledge. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't go immediately into like, well, you need this particular grace and you have to spend this many hours a day in scripture and mm-hmm. prayer. You know, right. like she, she starts with something very simple, which is know yourself. Yeah. And let's go from there. And I think anyone. You How know, very Socratic. Yes. Know thyself. Oh yeah. Well, she's very much a philosopher. I which, love. which is why she's one of, uh, she's one of Olivia's top five women. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's of old, new and present Testament. Well, exactly. actually new Testament. We are in the times of the new Testament, the eighth day of creation. Mm. Yeah. So it counts, right? If I could be a crumb like St. Catherine of Siena, who man. Then, then imagine what the loaf of bread would be, right? <laughs> But we'll talk about it in a second because we we don't want to uh, to to end this show, which has actually become a full size show, um, aren't you lucky? Uh, without doing uh, the portion of the program uh, that we like to call, Ed, are you ready? That we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for our first, <laughs> had to do that manually. And so for our first CU Pick of the Week, let's go over to Olivia. Didn't mean to stab oh, you with my yeah, pen, but wow, let's go over so to violent. Olivia. Throw there. something at me. You got sorry, a hatchet sorry. anywhere? No, I don't. I just uh, have these blue index cards. But. No, actually, speaking of bread, um, my pick of the week is a cookbook, um, but it's the LaRousse Book of Bread by oh. a guy named um, Eric Kaiser. Oh. Kaiser. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce I like, it. I, don't, I haven't read this book, but I want the book. It's incredible. I should have brought it in. It's one of like, um, I'm not going to pronounce this either. It wouldn't have gone back home with you. Uh, well, fat chance of that um um no it's it's a it's a faden printing um, oh yeah sure. and they do like really really fine they're the ones who did stuff. the silver spoon yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which i is, also have which is the bible of italian cooking it's amazing it's really good oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. kathleen bible of italian cooking silver uh, spoon i get it it's red it weighs about Can't 25 pounds yeah. you but can work out while you're cooking you just lift uh, that's it i probably gonna need to yeah, that's right there you go but um but yeah so this Lurus book of bread um it it goes through you know so I I work with sourdough and stuff um and I really am enjoying that so it works with like it it teaches you how to make a starter if you don't have one also like walks you through different kinds of yeast um different kneading processes like why fermentation is important it kind of walks you through all the basics of that I like that that helps me to understand like why you're doing to come to knowledge of cooking makes for better cooking right yeah. makes well, you no. love right well and that way like if you're you don't just like pull up a recipe for um for a loaf of bread but you don't really understand why you're doing the mm-hmm. things that they're asking you to do mm-hmm. and this doesn't use it uses some like minuscule amounts of the yeast you buy in the little packets but it's mostly like fresh yeast oh, cool. or what they call like natural which is sourdough starters um or like that that fermented um 
uh, leavening. Um, but it has like basic recipes, lots of like ethnic, um, different from different cultures. Like there's an African bread I've been making that's mm. delicious. Ooh. I'm gonna have to make it for y'all when I'm not sick. Yes. Um, but yeah, and it just breaks you th- breaks down everything. There's hundreds of recipes in this book. It's not like the one of those cookbooks where they give you five recipes and lots of stories. Um, so yeah. yeah, so I really I highly recommend this book. Everything that I've done out of it has come out really well so far. Kathleen, what's what's your pick of the week? I one of the one of my favorite places to go on the March for Life is in in Hansville, Alabama, mm. the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Oh, it's lovely. Yes. Where EWTN is, and Mother Angelica, that's where her where she her lives. religious order, yeah. Yes, her religious order. Um, it's now where she's buried. I this year I got she, to she yeah she's buried in the crypt there. and the yeah, crypt church. Uh-huh. This year I got to um, visit her her crypt. Great, yeah, her crypt. Yeah, what do you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her, her um. Not a great place of yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, Chris is her. okay. You can say that. I got yeah. to visit her. Um, beautiful, beautiful place. Tomb. Uh, Tomb. There it is. Tomb. There it is. <laughs> I think Tomb. I would know that one. There I'm ready it for is. Lent, apparently. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, it's, got one anyway. of the, it's got one of the largest um, monstrances in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's over okay. six feet. Yeah, it's gorgeous. The The main church is beautiful. The grounds are beautiful. Just a peaceful place. I really want to go back. To, they have like these little cottages that you yep, can rent. And, uh, and you can rent them and they are very, very affordable. Yeah. yeah. For David Dawson, uh, general manager of Catholic Radio, just got back from, yeah? uh, from oh. one of those little hermitages. Yep. So mm-hmm. good. So good. So there it is. Yeah. That's sounds it. good. My pick of the week is a book that I splurged on. Marvelosity is the name of it. It is The uh, Art of Alex Ross. Now, Alex Ross, his mom was a commercial illustrator back whenever that was a thing. Huh? Mm. You had everything you saw in a magazine was a commercial illustration. So these kind of lifelike renderings mm. of, uh, of things you should buy, mm-hmm. right? So uh, that was what informed Alex Ross's love of art. And when he w- looked at comic books as a kid, he always wished that he could draw a comic book uh, with photorealism. Mm. And so his artwork was all about photorealistic works. Wow. And so this is all of his best stuff. And, um, and, and so uh, he's drawn for DC. He draws for Marvel. And so like, if you want just a, a book that looks good on your coffee table and is uh, a lot of eye candy reading, I love beautiful art, mm-hmm. uh, especially something that's kind of photorealistic, Marvelosity. Very cool. I like the smell of books too. This one smells like a, a good book. A good uh, book. So, yeah. And it's got pictures. You like that. So, Marvelocity, the uh, the Art of Alex Ross by Chip Kidd. Jeff Spirit, introduction by J.J. Abrams. You'll remember him. Mm. He's the one who messed up many franchises. Um, so, all right. The Catholic underground is always possible because of people like you. We thank all of our benefactors. And if you want to join the growing number of undergrounders, you can go to catholicunderground.com slash donate to find more out about that. If you want the show notes for this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast as well. Go to catholicunderground.com to do that. I've broken this pen. It's broken now. I I do that a lot. Um, uh, Our panelists this week have been Kathleen Lee. She's the benefactress. She's our faith ninja. She is a samurai of hope. Hiya. Hiya. She's at klee626 on Instagram. Yep, Yep. sure am. Olivia Galino is at the.real.omg on uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Instagram, and Twitter. And Twitter. Oh, yes. you've, you've, um, I have re, reactivated my Twitter. Oh, yeah, very nice. Our, our research assistant, the leader of the crew in the lab, is Jim Hayes. Our video and graphics editor is Ed Ball. And you know me, I am Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Instagram at Digital Catholic on Twitter as well. We hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We're the Catholic Underground, we're Faith Gone Digital. We'll see you next time.
from the Catholic Underground.